Good morning, Christ Church. Good to be in worship with you this morning. I'm Pastor Andrew, one of the pastors here, and we're in a sermon series. Uh, what would Jesus undo? How many of you have ever heard of WWJD? You heard of that phrase, right? So we're in the second. We, WWJD was something in our culture that was so prolific that it was used to be the bands. Uh, you remember the little bands that had the WWJD, the wristbands, right? But I was informed that it had spread not only to wristbands but to uh, Beanie Babies. I have a WWJD Beanie Babies complete with Bible attached to show you how thoroughly uh, enculturated the WWJD movement was. Uh, but part of the joy of getting together this morning is looking at and trying to ask the question, not necessarily what would Jesus do, but what we're asking is a unique question, what would Jesus undo? We recognize in our world that there are a lot of wonderful things that Jesus was about, uh, that he, he accomplished and that he did, uh, but he came to also undo some of the things that so easily uh, entangle our lives and drag us down and the things of our world that there's, there's such rampant brokenness. And Jesus came to address some of those things. And so we're taking the time to examine what would Jesus undo. Do. Now, if you're a guest with us this morning, it's welcome. So glad that you're here this morning. We're actually changing things up, as those around you who are regulars know. We are starting with the sermon, and everybody is on time. Way to go. I'm proud. Eight o'clock. Way to go. We're going to see how the rest of the services go. We're changing things up because of the topic of conversation this morning. What we're going to be studying and what we are looking at this morning, what would Jesus undo, is worship. Hollow worship. We're going to be looking at and asking, what would Jesus undo? He would undo the attitude, the framework, the heart of hollow worship. And we felt it was important to right up front help teach you and grow with you and, and engage with you around what is hollow worship and then what is holy worship in juxtaposition to it. So let's talk about that this morning. Hollow worship. One of the things that Jesus came to undo in your life, in my life, and in the world around us is hollow worship of God. Now some context for you, some of the backdrop for you. When Jesus said, come on the scene, worship was happening around the world, both within his faith practice of Judaism Jesus was a Jew, but worship is something that was ubiquitous. Worship happens across all of the different faith disciplines in the world. It's a very common thing, and it's a common world word to use in a faith discipline, to worship, to worship a God. And so the Jewish people were worshiping their God and in their specific way. And in, in most of the practices around the world, this is even true to this very day, hollow worship has to do with giving something to God in order to get something back from him. You offer up something to him, and he is then therefore almost obligated to give you something in return. This had crept its way into Judaism, Jesus' religion and faith, as well. More specifically, it was something called the sacrificial system, right? So this is in the Old Testament. This is that stuff in the Old Testament that if you've ever read the Bible, it's really confusing, and you're like, why did they kill the animal? 
What's up with that thing? You guys ever heard of animal sacrifice before? Again, not common just to Judaism, but practiced within Judaism. The idea was that you would bring to God something that you cared about, something that you loved, something that you cherished, and that there would be this element of sacrifice. And in, in Jewish roots, they were people who were, uh, took care of sheep, they were uh, herders, they were farmers, and so they would bring these things to God and they would sacrifice them to God. And what started as, as a relational piece, God and uh, in, in humanity in relationship, people giving something up, uh, it all of a sudden shifted to being much more about the rules, the do's and don'ts of what you can and cannot sacrifice. You see, what started with the sense of relationship shifted to, I just need to show up, punch my card for worship, and I'm good to go. Sound familiar? I need to show up, give my sheep to God, and then I'm good to go for the next couple months till I screw up in the next big round of my life. And then I got to come back, and maybe I got to up it to a cow. Maybe it's a good week, and it's just a little pigeon. This was the way things worked. And eventually, the, 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 the reality was that worship moved and changed from being relationship-based to being based on these laws and prescriptions of what you are supposed to do and what you are not supposed to do. You are tiptoeing the line, and it almost became transactional. You show up, and you're more or less paying God for God's services. I'm showing up, I give something to God, and I expect God to do something in return. This makes God an egotistical, moody vending machine. Hollow worship in a nutshell. God is a vending machine. People show up to worship. They show up to, to this idea of worship. And, and their thought is that they need to give, they need to behave, they need to do things in a certain order, they need to say things in a certain way, they need to behave according to a certain prescription of rules, and that in doing so, you make God happy, you keep him happy and content up in the cloud. Or, or that we get together and we just tell him how awesome he is. Oh, you're so cool, you're so awesome, you're so cool, you're so awesome. And that that's what worship is. As if God needs to boost his ego somehow with us. Or that he's moody and we just need to do these things in order to keep him happy. And as long as he's happy, then the bad stuff won't come into our lives. And so we show up to worship just to keep God happy. Pacified is probably a more accurate word. Or we show up to worship and we do things a certain way according to that certain regular rules and we punch in the numbers, and we expect the Coke to pop out of the Coke machine. That I said this prayer, and therefore God should give me this. He should heal me in this way. He should save this person. He should help me in my finances. Because I did this, this, and this. God should do this. When Jesus showed up, this was rampant. Specifically in the Jewish faith. Jesus shows up to the temple and there's money changers. You ever hear this story? 
Jesus shows up, and he walks up to the temple, which is at the temple where you would worship. It was the church of the day. You'd show up to the church service, and the church was making money by doing this exchange rate stuff. You had to buy the, the officially stamped pigeons of the temple in order to sacrifice to the temple. And people were just trained, and it became this hollow worship experience of what you, what you were supposed to do how you were supposed to do it in order to make God happy. And Jesus showed up, and he was just distraught. He was distraught because that's not worship in a holy, God-honoring way. And just like it was rampant in Jesus' time, is it fair to say that this is rampant now? Maybe you've fallen into this yourself. I have. Confession. I've done that. Showed up to church because I'm supposed to. Expect God to give me something because I did something for him. We are all susceptible to this. Not only back then, but also today. Jesus came to undo this type of worship. And he helps correct us in the way that we think and the way that we understand who God is and what it's like to worship him. See, now that you know what hollow worship is, now that you know what it's not, what, what, what good and holy worship is not, this hollow, nasty stuff, now we get to talk about what it really is, the good stuff. Maybe you've never thought about this. What is it to worship? Worship, it's not about God wanting something from you. Worship at its heart is actually about God wanting something for you. Worship at its heart that is God-honoring and holy, that is set aside and God-pleasing intrinsically, is not about God taking away something from you in your life, but placing his vision, his love, and his grace into your life. Hollow worship is about giving to God in order to get something from God. Holy, God-honoring Jesus worship is about get, getting, getting from God first and foremost. It's about receiving from him what he wants for your life his work and his activity in this world for you and your well-being. God doesn't want something from you in worship. He wants something for you in worship. Holy worship, you get and then you give. You get something as a part of your life and as a result, you can't help but give it away. Let me show you what I mean. In the New Testament, in the, in, the, in the Bible, as it goes deeper and deeper, and once you get to the story of Jesus, those who, who, who followed Jesus and understood what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about worship, those who, who sought to teach his teachings and live according to Jesus Christ, they got wrapped up in this word. They call it the gospel. It translates as good news. You ever hear the good news before? You ever heard the gospel before? 
It's worship when you hear it. That's what worship is. Hearing and receiving Evangelion, the good news of who Jesus is, who God is. You see, God is not this egotistical, moody vending machine flying in a cloud somewhere. The good news is that Jesus Christ is God. God is Jesus Christ. God is this humble, caring, sacrificial servant in the person of Jesus who wanted so desperately for your life to be what it could be that he sacrificed himself on a cross. He gave up his life for you. That's the good news. To hear that, to know that, to believe that, to trust that God has given up his own life for your well-being, that is worship. To believe the good news of Jesus Christ, to hear it declared over you, to let it seep into your bones and into your life and into your week, that Jesus gave himself to you, that's worship. Not something that you had to do, something that was done for you. The Bible says it like this in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians was a letter that was written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was one of the early Christians, who really got a good grasp of this. He was a Jew, and he was trained in all of the Jewish ways of how you were supposed to worship. And then Jesus became a part of his life. And he wrote this in relation to the good news, into real worship. He said, God is not a vending machine, but he is a God who's rich in mercy. He loved us. He loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, our brokenness, our transgressions, even though we got trapped in this hollow worship stuff, he chose to rightly bring worship back to its heart by giving us his life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's by God's grace that we have been saved, not according to what we did, but according to what Christ has done for us. God saved us by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. This wasn't something that you did. It is strictly a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done, so none of us can boast about this. Worship is not boasting about what we did for God. It is boasting about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. That's worship. To know it, to declare it, and to believe it. You guys know that I love Martin Luther. If you don't know me yet, you're going to find me quoting this little old monk from 500 years ago all the time. He's got some good stuff to say about this. Here's one of the best lines that I know from Martin Luther. He says it like this. Martin Luther is this little monk who really actually did the same thing Jesus did. In, in 500 years ago, the church was corrupt. The church had gotten back into this thing where you could actually buy, like purchase forgiveness, that you could, you, you, you could do certain things in order to earn God's favor. Luther comes along and says, no, it's about believing in Jesus. To worship is to believe. To believe God. And his son, Jesus Christ, that's worship.
Worship is not about God wanting something from you. It's about wanting something for you and your life through Jesus Christ. Now, all that said, I have an asterisk up there. Does it make it uncomfortable in here? I don't know if anyone else noticed it. The little asterisk right there. Do you guys see the asterisk? Okay. Here's the asterisk. God wants something for you and for your life and for those around you. He wants faith in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he has made to be made real in your life and in the lives of those sitting next to you, those that you interact with. The good news is not just for you alone. Make no mistake, it is for you. Jesus died for you. He brought forgiveness and life for you and for the person sitting next to you. So worship is not only about you believing, but declaring it to the people around you. It says it like this in Acts. These are a bunch of new Christians. Again, that Paul guy that wrote the book of Ephesians, this, has to, this is something that he was about and he was doing in the book of Acts, travels with him and his works. He went around preaching the good news. We are here to bring you this good news. We're here to proclaim that through this man Jesus, there's forgiveness for your sins. Not through the sacrificial system, not by, by, by giving up some more doves or an extra big cow, but through Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness of sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right with God's sight. Something that the law of Moses could never do. Something that living and, and worshiping according to a specific structure could never do. No, in Jesus, we have forgiveness. And so we are here to bring you this good news and to proclaim to you this good news. So a bunch of Christians brought the good news to other people. That's more worship. First to receive from God what he's done in, in your own life and then give to those around you what God has done. I mean, you wonder why we sing in worship? We don't sing to tell God how awesome he is because he needs a bigger ego boost. We sing for the sake of those around us. If you're not singing, start. Seriously, guys, we're really bad at this. Men, we need your voices. Your wife sitting next to you needs to hear you sing because she needs to know and hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus loves her, cares about her, and is sacrificed for her. Men, you need to sing for your kids. When you have people, guests and visitors that come alongside you to worship here on a Sunday morning, sing to show evidence of the faith that has been given to you so that it might impact and edify and build up their faith. Praying, why do we pray? Why do we say the Lord's Prayer? It's not only for you. It is for the sake of those around you. The people sitting next to you need to hear you pray because they might not have the courage yet. 
There could be something going on in their life that makes them unable to pray. They just got a diagnosis, and they don't have the words to pray. They've been sober five days, but man, day six is really looking tough. They just had a miscarriage. They lost their job. They lost a relative. And they don't have the words, but you do. So when you pray, pray for them. Give your voice and your prayers on their behalf. Give your worship the declaration of what God has done in your life and in this world to those around you so that they too can have hope. Serve them. We need help in vans and parking. Why? Because we need to help more people come in and experience this good news. We need help with the kids. We need help with ushers. We need help in every aspect of this church life. Why? Because there are more people that need to know the good news. So we need you. Your neighbor needs you. The person sitting next to you needs you. Worship is not only vertical. It is cross-oriented. It is between God and his people, and it is between people and other people. It is both vertical and horizontal. So, declare boldly. Sing and serve boldly. Worship boldly. Receiving what God has given you and then giving it to the people around you. That is holy, God-honoring worship. So, what's your worship like? How are you doing on these things? Are you getting, are you receiving, are you hearing and knowing and believing Jesus Christ came to change and transform this world and your life. That he loves you and he forgives you. And yesterday is gone and today is a new day. And he has promised you eternal life. And are you then giving that to those around you? Part of the joy of being a pastor of this church is knowing that I get to proclaim to you that word of Jesus' forgiveness every week. Sometimes we're all hard-headed and we forget this, yes? We go into the rest of our week and we forget. So we come back to church to be reminded. And as a pastor, I have a lot of job security in this. To tell you again and again, God loves you. He's got a vision for your life and for this world. Live into it. Give it to those around you. I get to preach that to you and teach that to you every week. But not only do I get to preach and teach, we also as a community celebrate something called a sacrament. We do communion every week here at Christ Church. We do baptisms regularly. What a sacrament is, what communion is and baptism is, it's a physical, visible way of hearing and experiencing the gospel. 
Just in case you're hard of hearing, I give you bread, I give you wine, Jesus says. I give you my body and I give you my blood so that you can experience in a tangible way my love. I not only tell you that I love you, I give you one big warm hug. Don't you like hugs? Aren't hugs good? I try to hug my kids and kiss my kids every morning and every night. I try to hug my wife and kiss my wife every morning and every night. Why? Because I tell them that I love them. And then I physically show them and tell them I love them in a hug and a kiss. So too with us in our worship. God loves you. As a pastor, I declare that to you. And as a community, we celebrate communion so that you physically, tangibly know God's love. Let's join our hearts in the great thanksgiving as we prepare for the sacrament together.